Boom, put boom, boom, side, B side, what side are you on? Well, hello, welcome back. How you doing? It's A side, B side podcast. What's going on, Adam? Not too much. Uh, your Brooke, your your voice sounds much better this week, but still not one hundred percent you. Yes, but I am I'm pleased not. with the progress. Um, yes, better, but still not 100%. I do wish it was back to full, but it's getting there. So I'm not going to complain. I mean, did you get any time to rest this weekend or you were just out every day doing work stuff? Um, Friday night and Saturday morning I worked and then I kind of was, um, I just hung out for the rest of the, the weekend. So by the rest of the weekend, you mean a single day of Sunday? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> So you got one out of the last seven days to rest the moneymaker that is your voice. <laughs> I have been doing lots of tea and honey. I didn't do it today. Probably <laughs> should and will soon. Um, but um, I'm really um, excited because I think when we're done, I am going to go try to catch Dr. Strange. Oh, yeah. I have not seen it yet either. There, this month has just been so crazy. I think that if there is a modern god that is the most um gaslighting it is mother nature because (laughs) minnesota has been no fun for all of april and then the first week of may was kind of iffy too and then like yesterday was great during the day and then we literally had like thunderstorms tornadoes in the evening uh, I have, I know people who had a giant tree blown down on their house last night. Uh, oh my. We had, we had flooding in the restaurant, in the kitchen, in the basement. The road was like covered to the point where you couldn't see the difference between like the curb and the road because there mm-hmm. was so much water. And then today is absolutely gorgeous again. But tonight is supposed to be the same thing at like 10 p.m. So Mother Nature is just like bringing us in with the nice words and then being slightly abusive at night. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! Yeah, it was it was it was rough last night. There were we. It was the first time in my career as in working in restaurants, which I've been doing since I 1999, where I had to tell people that we're going to move you to the back because you can't be by windows. Wow. Yeah, it was it was very weird. Everybody was safe, and we closed early, and there was like an inch of water in the kitchen that you know drained eventually, and we're fine, but. It was one of those things where like we got called from corporate and they're like, hey, you guys should close. I'm like, yeah, we're kind of closed, but also like these people can't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. We're, <laughs> so we're closed, like, but we can't actually close. Yeah. So we're, we're going to like do another round just because no one's going anywhere and uh, everyone could just hang out for a bit. And then we'll be fine when this actually breaks. But it was crazy. It was the most flash flooding in a urban area that I've seen in my life because I went for a dog walk and then this morning and then another dog walk this afternoon and every single sidewalk has debris on it from stuff just running off because it was just it came down so quick and so much water that like people's uh if you had like the 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 wood chips somewhere they all they're not there anymore wow they're they're in the street that's crazy but I mean, it's great because today I'm like, everything is perfect. This is beautiful weather. I've gotten to go for like two hour and a half long dog walks around work stuff. And I'm so happy, but I'm also like, 
that was terrifying last night. Yeah. <laughs> you forget about it. But that's why I think I, I call it like nature gaslighting because I'm like, oh, no, this is cool. I love I love summer and fall here. Who cares about winter when we can't breathe? <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So um, <clears throat> last week we kind of just um, it was an opportunity for me to um, rest my voice a bit. It was needed. It was very much needed. And I'm glad we did it. And to this day, I'm still surprised you let me talk you into it because that usually doesn't work when I try to talk you into things. But you, <laughs> that that's how tired you must have been. Where you're like, ah, oh, crap, Adam might be right. <laughs> well, that was how needed it, that rest was, seriously, yeah. but uh, for my voice. Um, but uh, we are back. Ha <laughs> ha. And um, well, um, last week, if you missed it, we kind of did a look back to where it all started. And now you can kind of see where we are this week. So how we have progressed in 90 some odd episodes. So that's exciting. Yeah. Or if nothing's actually changed, you'd be like, yeah, you guys are the same people, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you sound exactly nothing has changed whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, your voice has definitely changed from because you're, you're dealing with the laryngitis and all the nonsense. Uh, and I have tried to talk less and interrupt you less. So hopefully that's improved over almost two years of doing this, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> well, since we are keeping with tradition and I started off last week with, you know, the very first episode, uh, it's up to you this week. Yes, I, I will start off. Do, do, did you... I know you've been recovering this week. Did you watch anything new? Um, I am finishing up Ozark. Um, of course. Oh, I've heard that's really good. That's it that's is... it, that's another one where like I have not started it, and everyone's like, "Ah, you should do this." I'm like, "I know," but now everyone's told me it's good. So, no, it's it's very very good. Um, and anything that you think is going to happen doesn't. It's it's nothing that you expect to happen is happening. Keep you guessing. Um, they are keeping you guessing. It's, uh, of course, the last, I think we're down to three more episodes for This Is Us um, before the finale. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually, I, as I was, so we, we had to turn the channels last night because it was inclement weather. So we wanted to go to local stations so people could be like aware of, like, maybe don't go outside right now. And then the TV, because we have direct TV, would cut in and out. But when it came back, and when I knew we were okay to let people leave, is when the local news stopped being local news, and they just went back to This Is Us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, it was not This Is Us. It's the other one. It's like tiny little things. A million little things. A million little things, yes. Mm-hmm. With um, with the guy from uh, Psych. And, yeah, your guy from Psych that you like. Yeah, Oh, I, lo- I love Psych. Uh, I've just never watched an episode of this, but then I also saw that um, Boomer from uh, Battlestar Galactica mm-hmm. is on it now, evidently. Is on A Million Little Things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, she- so she was on Hawaii Five O after Battlestar Galactica. Oh, you mean Grace Park? Yes, Grace Park. She's yeah. been on it all along. Well, I yeah. Since never seen an episode, I had no idea, but I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, what is Boomer doing out there? Oh yeah, she's been so, on it since the very beginning. That's cool. And like it's it's amazing. We've all aged, but like some people don't age as well. And 
she is aging very well. Very well. Because I Does, was watching it and like my daughter walks through the room and she goes, that's the chick from Hawaii Five O. She looks exactly the same. I was like, yeah, she really does. Yeah. And, this is, it, and it's the same actress from Battlefleet Galactica, which is 20 years ago at this point, And she looks the same, which mm-hmm. I mean, whatever routine they're doing, it's working better than mine. Well, so there, I'm not going to say it, but there's an expression that like, <laughs> you know, like we say black don't crack and I have heard an expression, but I don't want to say it because I don't want it to come off as me being racist, but I have heard an Asian person have a similar expression for Asian culture, similar to black don't crack. And it is very true. I, I, I'm not afraid to be offensive. Uh, I will say that I think that white people age the worst (laughs) of all of them and so many other cultures age so much better uh especially uh, african-american black asian uh like i don't know what we did wrong maybe it's just all the power and like drunkenness that we've had from being in charge of stuff but like especially white dudes we don't age well oh no i looked at i was in a zoom this morning and i was like oh dude that's not a forehead anymore. <laughs> and we're bordering on past five. <laughs> well, the funny thing. So um, at work at my job, um, my co-host just came back from vacation and he mentioned seeing um, Ross Matthews, who used to be the intern on uh, Jay Leno. Yeah. Inter- intern Ross, right? Intern Ross. And like yeah. he showed like an updated picture. And I was like, wait, what? That's internal. That looks like some old dude. And I well, he's an old dude. But I mean, is he like, how old is he now? Like, I thought he was, still, uh, I don't know. Maybe he's I'm got, still thinking intern He's got to be older than me. And I feel old. Oh, is he? he? He was intern Ross in his 20s in the 90s. Oh, see, you get somebody stuck in your head and then that image sticks with you. And then when you, it's like when you see a little kid and then they're all grown up years later and you're still thinking they're this little kid. So in my head, he's still little intern ross but um yeah. i am yeah, it's picture is still little intern ross too well yeah but i mean that's that's like the thing like people don't update their linkedin profile picture or their facebook profile picture or their imdb profile picture because yeah, he's 43. Like, uh, yeah he's only 43 he's 43 dang he was he was doing he was on the leno show at a very young age mm-hmm because he had to be like barely 20 in the mid 90s. That's impressive. But yeah, no wonder, he, no, Ross, wonder he's on vacation in Mexico. He's doing okay. No longer looks like intern. He looks like um, intern's dad. Well, no, it, it, it's, it's kind of messed up that like when we show like old school pictures of us from our, our fashion shoot at the bowling alley when we were starting <laughs> the morning show. <laughs> you really haven't changed at all. And I look like my own son. <laughs> I was like, oh, clearly that is a younger version of you. So that was your child, right? No, no, that was me. Um, real quick, I want to say that um, I had the opportunity to reach out to your mom um, for Mother's yes. Day. And she was just telling me how much she just really enjoyed Mother's Day. And um, she got to go prom dress shopping with your oldest. And I got to see one of the vintage collections of the dresses. And it's stunning. P, 
because I know P listens. P, that dress is stunning and I hope you get it. And then I want to see all the pictures. Yeah, I, I love that they love the vintage style too, because mm-hmm. there's just, it's, I mean, I don't think the cost is any different, but it's just kind of cool that like this dress has a story as well. You know, yeah. like you can imagine like this is, this has been to, to a wedding or been to prom before. It's, it's got its own history. And I think and I just I feel it's stuff. very much in P's personality. Like it's very, it just fit. Like when I saw it, I was like, yep, that's perfect. Yeah. It's very fitting. It's it's very weird. Like I thought when I was younger that when I got to the age that my kids were like going to dances and stuff that I'd be like, I guess stereotypically I thought it'd be like this like grumpy dad, like like glaring at the the date with a you know pretending they own a shotgun. Uh, And this is just exciting. Like I'm literally trying to convince my youngest for their upcoming formal, which is supposed to be a so they they do a little bit different at their school it's not a prom they have like a prom dance but the whole school does a like victorian field day Mm. where everyone is encouraged to dress up as like from bridgerton or downton abbey and like they play games on the lawn and have tea and and eat probably tiny cucumber sandwiches uh so I'm like, I'm already sending my youngest like pictures on Amazon. I'm like, dude, we could do this for your costume. And he's like, uh, okay, I don't know, dad. I was like, no, but what about this one? He's like, okay, I don't know. Like, oh, here's the third. He's like, I don't know. Please stop texting. <laughs> I'm like, I, I took one costume design in college and I've never gotten to really do it. So he's like, get the hint, dude. <laughs> he's I like, don't. I don't know. about. I don't know if I want to dress up as a steampunk wizard. So <laughs> like, but I mean, I kind of do. <laughs> oh goodness, goodness! Also, the nice part is he's so big now. If I buy a costume for him, I can just borrow it for next fall. Well, that's true. Which is a great feeling. That's true. When Except you do now your, he, he when you do your yeah, do, uh, Halloween Halloween um, yeah fest yeah your uh, what well, was it costume fest three costumes in three days. Mm-hmm. I'd like to continue that going. We'll see. I, I did post a picture on my Instagram today because I've been uh, completely enamored with this random company that keeps popping up in my Instagram feed. And so I just caved the other day and bought a hoodie and a hat and I got a friend a hat as well. Uh, and it, so it's called Tripine. And then like each time you buy something, they donate, they uh, plant three trees. So I bought a hoodie and a hat and another hat. So I planted nine trees and it's super comfy. So I, I posted it on, our, on my Instagram and tagged us. So just in case they want to, you know, sponsor the podcast. We would not be upset at all if you wanted We to. would not be upset at all. I mean, also, I mean, they would have to fight with Angelina Jolie, who's in negotiations to sponsor the podcast as well. So we'll see. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm so absurd. I love it. Oh, man. All right. Well, it is on you, my guy. And I am very excited because I've been waiting 10 days to talk about the A-side this week because it made so much sense to skip last week because I did not want Brooke to not have a voice and then lose her job. And then she'd have to come move in with me with my studio. It's just, just not going to work. There's no space <laughs> here. We have one bathroom. Not going to happen. Uh, so I have been very excited because I think... In the 92 episodes that we've done, this being episode 92, 
I've probably done four maybe uh, music focused A sides. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because we can't play a lot of music uh, without paying for rights. So it's hard to talk about music. But music is such a huge part of my life. And I've noticed in the last probably six weeks that I've been listening more to records and CDs and Spotify and YouTube music and just even just the terrestrial radio and uh, as opposed to watching shows. And I was like, you know what? I want to talk about some of this music because there is an album that I discovered roughly 23 years ago on a random drive that I have listened to more than any other album in my entire life and who I think may be the most well done debut album of any artist ever. And in the spring of 1999, I was a senior in high school. And for the first spring of my high school life, I decided not to do track and field. I wasn't exceptionally good at track and field, but it kept me busy. So I didn't get in trouble. So this was a dangerous thing. I now had extra time on my hands. And so I got a job. And in one of the all-time parenting backfire moments, and my parents have not had many, but this was one, I was... I accepted a job at Subway mm-hmm. to make sandwiches, but Subway was open till 1 a.m. Mm. And my mom said, nope, too late. You can't stay out that late. You're going to be working school nights. You got to go to school. You're not going to be able to focus. We're going to veto that. And I said, okay, you can veto this, but whatever I get next, please don't veto. And then being the absolute pill that I am, I had realized that in Minnesota, If you are 18, you can bartend, even though you cannot drink until you're 21. So my very next place I went was Red Lobster and got a job as a bartender at the age of 18. I was a bartender in a fancy restaurant, but different at the time. Like Red Lobster at the time was going through a very weird like TGI Fridays phase. Mm -hmm. You had to wear these giant fish shirts that were like Hawaiian shirts with fish on them. And we just had all sorts of mixed drinks that came out of basically a slushy machine, but I absolutely loved it. And I had a job and I had a car that I'd inherited from my grandfather, which was a 1985 Buick Century. So the peak of luxury. And I felt on top of the world. And now I could drive around with some money in my pocket. And I spent that spring driving around and going to events that, you know, my, my friends were at who were playing and my girlfriend was playing softball at the time and driving to every one of their games and going to it. And I listened to so much music. And I grew up in a household that listened to the oldies mm-hmm. and listened to Christian pop. So I missed basically everything from the 70s, 80s, and then the early 90s. So I didn't get my first radio. And we talked about this. I, I think we talked about this in some earlier uh, episode where I got my first radio when I was in sixth grade and started listening to non oldies and non pop music, not uh, uh, Christian pop music and how it opened my eyes. But once I got the car, I could set all of my presets to any radio station that I wanted. And that was the ultimate act of freedom. Uh, and of course this right. was the late, late nineties. So I had those radios where you had it, you like, you could take the face off. And like you put it in the, the dashboard, the, the like little dash compartment or the console so people wouldn't steal your radio. 
because in the 90s people stole radios not catalytic converters which they do now uh which are evidently way more valuable than radios uh and it was my first stealing them a lot a lot like non-stop i've had one friend who lives here in the twin cities who parks on the street who's had his stolen from his honda accord four times in the last three years ridiculous shut it, up four yeah, times four times and it it takes i think it takes like 10 minutes max you yeah. know they're with the saws yeah. all just zip, zip. it's like two cuts they're gone uh, and why we still have not made it illegal to resell catalytic converters in the country or let alone states where it's an issue seems very, very silly. Uh, but no one just like rolls into with a catalytic converter for a good reason at this point. It's just, let's just assume. Uh, but the only thing I spent on was this radio and I'm driving from school to pick up my girlfriend at the time who lived out in the, the Western suburbs. And so it was a good 20 minute drive. And my favorite radio station at the time was 93.7 The Edge. Now it is 93.7 The X, and it is more hard rock. But there was this very small time when it was a little bit more alternative. And all of a sudden, this song came on that I had never heard before. And it absolutely blew me away. It was subversive. It was witty. It was punk it was a little bit folk had a little bit of this old school like you know british pop to it and i absolutely fell in love and i immediately picked up my girlfriend we were supposed to go to dinner and i said okay we're going to dinner we're going to stop at cheapo records first because i gotta find this cd and we drove directly to cheapo records which is the you know old school you walk in and they have just rows and rows of cds cheapo that people have records? sold like cheapo like, records and cheap and then, oh. Yes, cheap. Okay. okay. And you walk in and they've got records and CDs and you could waste hours in there. And much of my teens was spent just standing in cheapo flicking through the, the CD cases where they're like, you move it and they would each like, you'd have that little click, 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 click as you're like searching for something good. And it's kind of alphabetized, but all the new stuff isn't. So it was always like this hunt and adventure to find something new and luckily i walked in and i was able to find this record on cd in the most recent 1993 re-release uh only to discover that i thought it was a brand new song i thought it was something that i had never heard before so it must be a new record that just came out and instead it was a record that was released in 1977 through a little known uh, record album or record company called Stiff Records by none other than Elvis Costello. And the song that I had stumbled upon was called Watching the Detectives. And it is this punk folk, new wave, British pop version of a story that sounds like it could be torn right out of Law and Order about potentially a murder and people getting away with it and detectives dragging a lake and just the entire thing is so well written and i was assuming that this is a massive star this is somebody that i just didn't like how did i miss this person only to find out that this album my aim is true by elvis costello which got in july of 1977 was the first album that he ever wrote 
at the time, he was working as a data entry clerk. He was married and had a young child and was writing when he got home at night. And he wrote a couple of demos. He performed in bars and little dive clubs for about 10 years before he was able to ever get a record contract. And one of his demos, uh, Mystery Dance, caught the attention of this uh, Pathway Studios, which is in Islington, London, uh, which I guess is a, a area of London, probably a suburb. I don't know geography of London that well. Uh, but they caught their attention. They said, okay, we'll put you on a compilation album. Once he found out that they were going to record his stuff, he came in with 25 completely new songs that he had written. And they were like, oh my gosh, these are all so good. We're not going to put you on a compilation album with two or three other ones. We'll just write an entire album of, it turned out to be 22 songs uh, that he had wrote. And it is, in my opinion, and maybe many others, and definitely some, uh, the best written debut album by a solo artist in terms of quantity and quality at least of the 70s if not the last 30 years mm -hmm. 30 well no 40, 40 years 45 years at this point because i'm yeah. very old he, you don't stop saying that because i'm older than you well you but you look 10 years younger than me so that's <laughs> a, that's all that matters like let's legit like i'm trying to convince us to do uh the podcast via zoom so we can record this and they're gonna be all like that's really nice of that niece to be hanging out with her stupid old uncle because <laughs> <laughs> i look way older than you do. i mean age is just a number right uh, is, i'm i'm is. literally doing this podcast with a massage ball uh, that I'm pressing up against my chair to try to work out a kink in my neck. So uh, I, I think that that means I'm way older than you are. Uh, so the album was released in 1977. It was recorded over just six four-hour sessions while he's still working at his day job as a data entry clerk. Uh, it reached number 14 on the UK charts. And then at at the time when he released Watching the Detectives, which was the song that I heard uh, as a single, it became the biggest selling import album in U.S. history. Of course, this is 1977, so things are a little different. But that means this is after all of the Beatles albums and Led Zeppelin. And sure, people are buying more albums, but the fact that it was the biggest selling import album in U.S. history, and it peaked at number 32 on Billboard's top LPs and tape chart in 1977 is kind of amazing. And it's a weird conglomeration of all these different styles. As I've mentioned, it's got a little bit of punk to it. It's got folk, it's got rockabilly, blues, British pop, and it's all about this guy who is clearly a nerd. I mean, the album cover is this guy who kind of looks like a nerdier version of Buddy Holly. He's got sort of spiky hair. He's skinny. He's not classically attractive. He's got these black, thick-rimmed glasses. He's playing a guitar. A lot of the songs are about not being good enough or having doubts about yourself. And here I am as an 18 year old angsty kid who's coming off of the late nineties, you know, alternative genre where 
I love alternative music, but I wasn't always that mad, but I was always sort of bitter and grumpy and wanting to be sarcastic and counterculture. And there's this entire album where every single song speaks to me in some way or another. And every, every spring when the sun starts to come out and I, you know, currently I'm not driving anymore, but when I would be driving before I wore out one CD version of this entire album. Now I am got it on Spotify in my earbuds as I'm walking the dog. I listened to it four times in the last week and it never fails to brighten my day and give me a, ch- a little bit of feeling not alone in the world. And one of the, the most amazing things about music is how you can feel this connection with somebody who wrote this four five years ago but whose words are speaking to you in the same moment that you are in right now. And it's amazing. Uh, some of the highlights, you've got um, No Dancing, which is about two people on a date who are clearly not having a good time. And the uh, musician is watching them saying like, when they get home, there will be no dancing because they are very much not liking each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mystery Dance, which is a veiled, uh, and what spoke to me is a you know virgin 18 year old where this idea of sex is this completely mystery thing. And we don't know how anything is happening and everyone else seems to know how to do it, but you don't. Uh, you've got Less Than Zero, which uh, is one of the most famous songs. And in fact, uh, Elvis Costello, his uh, entire lexicon of music has inspired every one of Brett Easton Ellis's novels titles. So whether it is Less Than Zero or, uh, oh gosh, I should remember more of these. Less Than Zero was his first movie. Uh, but every one of them have been a Elvis Costello single at some point. Uh, Welcome to the Working Week, which is the opening track on the album, was absolutely perfect for me as someone who had just gotten their new job for the first time in their life and feeling great about having a job, but also understanding that all of a sudden this isn't as fun as we make it seem. Uh, Working kind of sucks because you got to do it all the time. uh, And it's absolutely brilliant. The entire album uh, is available on spotify on itunes music you can get it uh in any record store uh, or cd store and if you're looking for something fun to play in the background when you're having a barbecue or you're just having an angsty day or you want to experience an entire album that feels old but also feels completely new at the same time uh it is highly worth it uh elvis costello has been a one of my favorite artists since 1999. Uh, it is the first concert that I had the guts to go to by myself. In uh, September of 2007, when we were still working together in Bowling Greenbrook, I went down to the Nashville Symphony Orchestra Hall to see his version. He written a ballet. And then in the second act, he sang a lot of his old songs in the with the orchestra back backing him uh but the most amazing moment in the entire concert was uh one of the hits from his first album my end is true called allison and there is a sweet spot in the nashville symphony hall where someone can stand and sing 
at full voice, but without any amplification, no, no microphone, nothing. And because of the acoustics in that building, every single person on both decks all the way back to the corner can hear them as if they're standing next to them. And so he stood in this sweet spot and sang Allison, which is a beautiful, heartbreaking song, but high school sweetheart to reconnect later. Uh, but also it just never really worked. And the, the chorus is so pure. And he sits in the sweet spot, stands there and he sings. And goosebumps on every single inch of my skin as it felt like he could be standing right next to me. And that I was in the top, I was in the second deck on the back three rows from the roof. And I, and without any amplification, I could hear him. And it was absolutely amazing. Uh, Elvis Costello's work has been featured in tons of films. You've heard them without ever knowing you've heard them. Uh, if you've ever seen high fidelity, which we talked about the reboot, um, the reboot series that was canceled during pandemic. Uh, that was Zoe Kravitz, right? Yes, it was Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, yeah, it was Zoe. And then, of course, the movie starring John Cusack and Jack Black uh, from way back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, the title credits, or the ending credits, uh, has a Elvis Costello song that I promise will haunt you. And it is the fitting end to that movie. So, my encouragement as the A-side, if you've never listened to any Elvis Costello uh, or didn't know you did, go out, boot up Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, whatever you're listening to us on right now, you can find My Aim is True and just let it play and let it wash over you. And I promise you, you will not regret taking a step back to 1977. And in my opinion, the greatest debut album of all time. So is that the A side? That is the A side. I am very excited about it. I really hope people do go and listen because uh, he's outstanding and uh, married to Diana Krall, the jazz. Dave's been married for a long time too. Yeah. Yeah. He's had two very long uh, relationships, which is two longer than me. (laughs) Oh goodness. All right. So this week on the B side, um well we're gonna do what we do what we do we talk about <clears throat> super happy stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yay i know it's so <laughs> exciting so excited it, it, so, it is kind of it is kind of great that like after we've done this for 92 episodes now uh i no longer have horrible dreams about psycho killers well that's good that's helpful because i i yeah i I think I think we just like my brain's just like whatever like it's it's old news now it's like weird stuff like not getting your groceries on time or you know like forgetting that ranch for the table six and you know that sort of stuff. You have so I mean that's I think that's better. I have I've been desensitized to serial killers, so (laughs) I thank you for. Hi, I'm here to help. I am here to help. All right, so this week we're talking about Jake Bird. And so Jake is one of those unusual serial killers. And we've talked about the um, the typical profile of a serial killer, white mm-hmm. male, m- you know, mid, late to mid 30s, you know, late late 20s, early 30s. Um, and Probably Jake- has a prop, you know, abuse as a kid, hurt mm-hmm. small animals. Right. So Jake o- only, Bird- Only drinks like iced tea. 
Jake Bird is not, he doesn't fit into that profile as he is, um, well, he's a black male. Okay. So Jake was born in December of 1901 in Louisiana. And there is not a ton known about him in his early years. He kind of moved here, moved there, moved around. We don't know much about Jake until he starts committing crimes. Which is a sad commentary on the record keeping of early 1900s. African Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. Because I guarantee you, if this was a white male, we would know down to what kind of pillow he slept with, probably. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, he was a good kid. He wore, you know, blue plaid pajamas. And blue plaid has historically not been a serial killer color. And on October 30th of 1947, in the home. Relatively old at this point. Yeah, so you figure he was, um, what, 45-ish? Like oh, okay. so if he's, he was born in 01, so 47, he's like 46, 45. You're good at math. I'm not. I was supposed to have an agent by now. <laughs> they were going to do all the math. <laughs> so depending on if he had a birthday or not. Okay, so he enters the home of a woman named Bertha Clud. Clud. It's K-L-U-D-T, Clud. And I feel like I've heard it both ways. Okay. Bertha lived on South 21st Street. He enters the home of Bertha and her daughter, Beverly June. Mm-hmm. And he he breaks in because he was, well, planning to steal some money for um, Bertha's purse. So he goes in and he he's taken, he's like going through, rummaging through Bertha's purse. And uh, Bertha confronts him and he attacks Bertha with a weapon he like pulls out an axe and and chops her up then he continues to rummage through a purse and he steals a dollar 50 and on his way out he is confronted by her daughter beverly he later would claim that the dollar 50 would go towards shoes which in 1947 i don't know how much shoes cost because i wasn't alive i i don't know yeah a dollar 50 like it doesn't sound like a lot but like it was a different time right exactly i know inflation i mean I can remember growing up and paying like a dollar per gallon for gas. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, hey, here's a 20, go fill the car up. Right. Exactly. Now it's here's a 20. You might get a quarter, might get a quarter of a tank, depending on what you drive. Yeah. So po- two police officers are sent to um, the residence in Tacoma. This is in Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Two police officers sent to the residence to investigate because there was people outside of the house heard screaming and they call the police. So when the police get there, they see a man run out the back door and they chase him. They chase him, they chase him, they chase him. And then they catch up to him. He attempts to stab the officers. Um, he was, he was punched. He was kicked. Of course, black male in the forties, they uh, beat him mercilessly. Yeah. So Jake Bird is captured and he is taken to the Tacoma County Jail where he then proceeds to confess to killing both um, Bertha and Beverly. <laughs> Again, it was the result of a robbery gone wrong because he intended mm-hmm. to steal the $1.50 for the shoes. Yeah, weird to bring an, bring an axe to a robbery, but okay, maybe to get I, in the door. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. So he had at this point in time a pretty extensive criminal record, including burglary and previous attempted murders. 
and we'll oh, find I was gonna out... say like, has he ever been violent before? But no, clearly. Oh yeah, we'll find out a little bit more about <clears throat> his past. But this is this is the crime that gets him put away for good, mm-hmm. and it's also real interesting. Anyway, you'll see. So he um, <clears throat> had um, an extensive criminal record, like I said, for burglary, attempted murder, and he'd actually been incarcerated um previously like i said we'll get to that in michigan iowa utah and other places so again he had been just, born just working his way west he's just working, working his way his west across the country up, yeah uh-huh so on he, the oregon trail of crime he had supported himself as a laborer and a a railroad gandy dancer i was really expecting you to like make a no i'm, I'm looking it up because there's got to be like an actual like there's that has to be a real job like what is the candy dancer okay oh, it is it's so a real, it is it's a real job i didn't I, yeah i was gonna make it i was gonna make it silly but like it's clearly so it's a slang term used for early railroad workers in the u.s who formerly more formally referred to as section hands who laid and maintained railroad tracks years before the work was done by machine so of course yeah. working on the railroad is how he was able to go from place to place to place yeah, I just like hop, hop the next train and be like, oh, my bad. And so, they needed, like, it was hard work. So they were like, okay, did you commit a crime today? And they're like, ah. I was like, okay, well, you'll probably die doing this work anyway. So go out. <laughs> of course, we know that Jake Bird has been arrested. He's tried. He's convicted. Um, after he was convicted, he requested a new trial and was denied. After this announcement and the like denial of the new trial, he was allowed to make a final statement. In his final statement, he speaks to the court for about 20 minutes and he notes that he was frustrated that his request to represent himself was denied and that his request for a new trial was denied. He felt that his attorneys were against him. So he then says, I'm putting the Jake Bird hex on all of you who had anything to do with my being punished. Mike, mark my words, you will die before I do. Okay. Thanks. Of course, Hex not taken seriously by anybody in the courtroom at the time. No, I'm like, he doesn't have a background in voodoo. He doesn't clearly, he's not waving a wand. Right. So there were six people connected to this case that, um, well, they died (laughs) before. Before. Oh my goodness. Uh Uh-huh. The first person was Judge Edward D. Hodge, um, who denied the retrial request. He died of a heart attack within a month of sentencing Jake Bird to death, as did one of the police officers who took his first confession. Um, A police officer named Joseph Karpach, who took his second confession, died of a heart attack, as did the court's chief uh, clerk, Ray Scott, he contracted a deadly case of pneumonia and uh, one of Bird's prison guards died of heart failure. J.W. Selden, who was one of Jake Bird's attorneys, died on the first anniversary of Jake Bird's sentencing. Dang. So. I mean, you could explain, you could explain away some of it just that, you know, different time people probably didn't have a lot of preventative health care, but everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the six people connected to the case that died before Jake Bird. Jake Bird 
Um, there was an execution at the Washington State Penitentiary that was scheduled for January 16th of 1948, but he claimed he had actually committed 44 other murders, which he was helping police to solve. Again, I told you we were going to talk about some of those and we will, but that's why I waited. Um, uh, uh. Washington Governor Monrad C. Walgren. Great gave name. Him, huh? Great name. That's oh, a, yeah. That's- Monrad, old old school name. I have never heard someone named Monrad before. What you know? That's what his mom was counting on, (laughs) right? (laughs) So Monrad gave him a sixty-day reprieve. So police from other states interviewed him, and eleven different murders were substantiated. He had not. He was knowledgeable enough about thirty-three other murders to be considered a prime suspect. So, like he said, forty-four other murders. Holy cow. So the interviews with Jake Bird enabled the police departments of a bunch of different states to declare many unsolved murders as solved. Um, so, of course, the Washington Tacoma murders, but there were also mm. murders from Florida, from Illinois, from Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Kentucky and Nebraska. Goodness. So basically anywhere the train had gone, this uh-huh. guy had off somebody. He had taken someone out. He did, like most serial killers, have a type. I say most because not all do. Some just randomly select people. Yeah, there was like the, the spree killing and all that. He mostly, um, most of his victims were Caucasian women. Uh, he either took them out with an ax or a hatchet, as he did with Beverly and both, um, yeah, both uh, and her and daughter Bertha, yeah, Be- Beverly, Bertha and Beverly. So before we conclude on Jake, we're going to take a look at Nebraska. Okay. So he yeah. uh, was arrested for attempting to murder Harold uh, Stribling and kidnapping and attacking his wife. As well, he also murdered a man named J.W. Blackman in North uh, Omaha. So J.W. was asleep in the front room of his house uh, that he lived on on North 28th Street with his son. Jake Bird enters the home. And what does he do? He uses an axe on J.W. Blackman. So he's arrested. And authorities were so concerned about a mob lynching him that they took him to the state penitentiary in Lincoln. Mm. almost immediately after his arrest. They were given support by the Omaha NAACP and the NAACP's attorney Harrison Pinkett met with him in prison several times along with the editor for the Omaha Guide newspaper who was named C.C. Galloway. So then um, he was shipped from Nebraska to Iowa where he was later uh, tried for the attacks. Police never actually connected him um, to the murders in Omaha until much later. So, so Jake Bird, he was arrested and he was shipped from Nebraska to o- Iowa where, now remember in the beginning I said, or I shouldn't say in the beginning, when we started talking about the beginning of his Nebraska crime sprees, he was arrested mm-hmm. for attacking two women. They were, yes. okay. So the, that was the Carter Lake attacks. So he was um, shipped off to Iowa and he was tried for those, but he wasn't actually connected to the murder 
of J.W. Blackman until years later. Oh, so they arrested him and they shipped him away, but they missed the one in their own, own location. Uh-huh. Yeah, Ooh. so they, they got him for the attack and the attempted murder, but not for the actual murder where he actually chopped somebody up. So um, in 1948, after he's already been in prison, you know, and he's confessing to all these crimes, he also confesses to the murder of an eight-year-old in East Omaha named Harvey Boyd. Another man named Clarence Lucart had served seven, excuse me, 19 years in, uh, of a life sentence for that crime of Harvey, uh, Harvey Boyd. According to reports, Clarence Luckhart always professed his innocence the entire time, and he was beaten into a confession by police. He lived in East Omaha, just a few blocks from Boyd's house, and he had a previous criminal record. Thus, why he was, I guess, the perfect, um, you know, uh, scapegoat. Mm -hmm. So during his 60-day reprieve, Jake Bird was, uh, he lodged an appeal, but a retrial was denied by the Washington State Supreme Court. His appeals to the federal courts, um, including an appeal to the United States Supreme Court, was also denied. Yeah, I I, I find it hard to find a constitutional issue with his case yeah yeah he wrote um a note asking for forgiveness but before the chaplain could finish the trap door opened on july 15th of 1949 and he was hanged at 12 20 a.m before 125 witnesses he's marked in a grave that just has his DOC number on it, 2152, in the prison cemetery. In his will, he left a total of $6.15 to his attorneys. If um, his counts are accurate, not only is he one of the most prolific serial killers ever, he's also the very first Black serial killer on record. Oh, wow. hmm so I know it seemed like I went backwards on that, but the reason was because he had gone back and confessed. And I was like, especially the crimes that, where I hear, am here in Nebraska, I was like, oh. So that's why. Yeah, no, for, from like a narrative sense, it made complete sense. You know, the fact that he got caught and then he was like, how many times these guys do that? Where it's like, oh, well, you got me, but I did all this other stuff too. Right, right. But there you have it. That is the the story of jake bird one of uh our most prolific serial killers ever all thanks to the railroad man and his this is why we can't have trains anymore yeah all that gandy dancing you hear gandy dancing you think maybe he was like performing or something on on the train but no that's a weird um that's a weird name for a profession yeah, but I feel like, and, and I don't have actual expertise in this, but I feel like it has been explained to me in the past that like there was a thing that was rolling on the tracks and they had to lay the new tracks before it came because mm-hmm. it like had all the stuff on it. So like they were constantly trying not to get their hands crushed or get crushed themselves. Mm. So that's so, where the name comes from? 
yeah and and i don't know like i sometimes just make stories up that fit my brain but i feel like that's a thing that is real so feel free to, to send us a message at a side b side podcast or on facebook if you actually know what it comes from but in my brain it's because they had to lay the tiles quickly before the thing crushed them and that's why they were gandy dancers i don't that could be completely made up because it wouldn't be the first time okay uh, i mean you know what now, i mean the way you say it that's uh, that it does sound like it could work. Oh yeah, no, I can, I can, I can make anything. I'm, I'm really good at balderdash. <laughs> yeah, I, I can make up an explanation for just about anything because I have to excuse myself so many times a day. <laughs> I got a lot. I got a lot of experience. <laughs> All right, but there you go. That's the story of uh, one of our most prolific serial killers who does not fit the typical uh serial killer um profile and you wonder if like he would fit it more if anyone knew anything about his background you know like right. he was Aside he was, from he was being a like, white male part yes you're right yeah well like that part's not you know that's not gonna change right, but, like, but like did like, he have emotional abuse as a child yeah bedwetting would it, did he did he do anything to small animals but like no one cared about his history until he got in trouble mm-hmm so there, there was, there's no documentation. So, uh, so if, so today we've talked about a very prolific artist and a prolific serial killer. Mm-hmm. And if you enjoyed either of those, you can get all of our content on our website, a side, b side podcast.square.site. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I did that with an accent, but mm-hmm. it'll help you remember it. Uh, links there will take you to all of the various platforms to listen to podcasts we're on them all including youtube and if i can convince brooke we'll be a video on youtube soon so you can see our lovely faces Uh, i don't know why anyone would want that but just in case uh it's something that we could do i want to do it because i'm narcissistic and i want people to be able to see my face uh also i'm wearing this whole new outfit today that i wanted to put put out there Mm -hmm. so uh you know it's I, I, I like to dress up and I don't get to do it very often, but now, so now I could just dress up every week and have costumes that fit my, you know, a side. Uh, so it's, it's, it's all connected. Wow. Uh, Brooke has wow. to deal with all of this and she has to edit it. So uh, the best way that you can help her deal with that uh, is to go to buymeacoffee.com, type in A side, B side podcast, and then you could buy her a coffee because it takes a lot of caffeine to both do a morning show, but also have to edit all of the stuff that Adam says that you never get to hear. Uh, so that's a lot. Uh, also, our website has uh, all sorts of merch on it and links to uh, a lot of the sources for both of our stories today. So you can check those out as well. And uh, in summation, just when you're done with here, just click on Elvis Costello's My Aim is True and uh, you're welcome. Awesome. All right. Well, there you go. That is a successful uh, number 92 in the books. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brooke.